We're gonna keep that for the funny moments, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yo, right. nobody laugh, and then I lose it. All right, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, dear brothers and sisters. I wasn't gonna leave today, but I guess I am. Um, today, I don't know what we're talking about, but you are joined here with the uh, the originals, and you got Fletcher, number one, number one guest that we had. Number one guest, everyone. So we decided that we're gonna bring him back on. And uh fire, why don't you just why don't you take it away? We only brought him away. back 60 episodes later, bro. <laughs> yeah, 60 episodes in six months, not bad for six months. I'm surprised more at uh at how we didn't even miss a single week since we started the podcast. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Fletcher man, Alhamdulillah. what's going on in Arkansas? <laughs> All good, alhamdulillah. It's very hot right now, though, which is kind of sucks. Mm. But you wanna, do you wanna let some of the viewers know a little bit about you, the the new viewers, and maybe a little bit into why Arkansas is actually called Arkansas? <laughs> All right, inshallah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. First off, Zakhmal Khair for having me back on. Uh, I'm excited to be on the Realist Podcast in Dunya. It's the best title in all of youtube um see for people who don't know me i was the best and first guest on the podcast um my name is fletcher i live in arkansas not arkansas and uh the reason why it's called arkansas versus arkansas is because the tribes the native american tribes that lived here originally spelt it arkansas but when the colonizers came they decided to keep kept keep how it sounded, but change the spelling. So don't ask me. I like it, Arkansas. It's not Arkansas, no matter what these guys mm. say. Man, mashallah, and you're Giant. a reaver, right? Just for the viewers yes. that don't know. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Brother, when did you, I guess, get into Deen? I, uh, I converted to Islam on October 31st, 2018. I was a junior in high school at the time. And ever since then, just been studying, trying to trying to become a better Muslim, trying to please Allah the best I can. That's what I love about Islam. It's like, bro, all four of us, if somebody just saw us, they'd be like, okay, one is this, one is that, the other one's this, the other one's that. But we're all Muslim, alhamdulillah. And that's what I love, that you can look like anything. You could look like you're in a different religion, but you could be Muslim. You could be any skin color, wearing anything doesn't matter we still have islam yeah. to come back to the talk. but huge shout out yeah. to brother fletcher for looking more islamic than all of us or at least i should say more muslim than all of us mashallah Allah. Uh, before we go in man i had a question it might be a little too early because you might think okay maybe this is something more suited towards the end but my main question is there's four madahab there's four sunni schools of thought and when I don't know what Anho is doing. And when you look at uh, Sunni Islam, which is, you know, the purest form of Islam, unadulterated, right? Straight from the Sunnah, right? Hence the name Sunni Islam. One would think that, okay, there's only one way. There's only one path. And when they, they think of four schools of thought, one might have this inherent notion that one might be correct out of all three or all four and the other three are not. So why do they differ? Which, like, what are these differences in? So maybe go into that, Bismillah. 
All right. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So you're absolutely right. And I think most people have that idea and they, they might even stray away or may look down upon the madhahibs because of this idea that's, you know, there's a sarat al-mustaqeen, there's a straight path to Allah, you know, there's a straight path to Jannah. And that, you know, why are these four different schools, these four different, you know, why, who are these four guys who showed up 200 years after the Prophet sent them and decided to, you know, like, who are these guys and why is their school so prominent? Why do so many people identify uh, as these madhahibs? Um, and the reason why us as Ahl Sunnah wa Jama'ah, the, uh, the, uh, the people who are upon the Sunnah, follow these form of dhahibs and, and say that they are in line with the Quran and Sunnah and they are in line with what Allah wants is because what they use as proofs does not stray from the Quran and Sunnah. Nothing that they are doing is going against Allah and his messenger for they're actually making the religion accessible to us. You know, the religion is so, so vast, you know, thousands and thousands of ahadith and the Quran is so in-depth in its language and how it's structured that the reason why these form of dhahibs are the way they are is because they, they make it easy for us to understand. Uh, you know, uh, the Prophet he didn't, he didn't write a book of fiqh. He didn't write a book of fiqh that started with tahara, then salah, then zakat, then hajj. You know, he's just the Prophet And that's, and that's what these imams, that's what these scholars do is they make it easy for us because we aren't scholars in Islam. We haven't spent, you know, 60, 70 years of our life just studying Islam. It's, it's been made easy to us. We can go online and uh, look up a fatawa. We can go on, we can go online and uh, learn fiqh. We can go to a scholar in our city, in our town, and just like ask a question because it's met, made, been made that easy. It's no longer, we don't need to we don't need to go and search, you know, manuscripts we no no longer need these uh, these need these these chains of narrations to you know verify if this is true or not you know Allah hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I have a question what's your question with these schools of thoughts is one required to follow a school of thought so there's two things when it comes to, you know, do we need to follow a method? Do we need to follow school of thought? For the layman, the person who has not studied, and, and the famous Hanafi scholar, Ibn Abidin, he says, the person who does not have the knowledge, you know, who, the person who does not have knowledge, what he needs to do is go to a living person and ask that fatawa. Uh, you know, his method becomes the one who asks method of that scholar. Um, there's, and there's no point in for that person to say, you know, I'm Hanafi, I'm Shafi, I'm Maliki, because they're just the, per they're just the layman. So as the layman, you don't need to follow one method. But when you have a question, when the layman, when the person who does not know has a question, they need to go to someone that they trust and ask them. And whatever they say, you can't be like, well, no, you're wrong. The, the Hanbali say this. It's like, you don't know. You're the one asking. And so the person doesn't need to know, but the person should not stay in ignorance and they should have enough, you know, patience, enough character to go ask someone and be humble enough to receive an answer. Hmm. So what if someone were to uh, basically just go on this journey 
uh, let's say figuratively speaking, on their own. They choose not to go to another person. Maybe it might be because they want to, you know, go into it on their own. Or maybe it's because they just don't have anyone available to them. Mm. So would it then be something that this person could do? Or would it just be you know, more reasonable for this person to seek out someone who has that knowledge and is of a, a certain school of thought? I, it's definitely, it's definitely more recommended. It's definitely, you know, some would even say it's mandatory for the one that does not know to seek the one who does know, you know, if they are in doubt and the person who is isolated or is unable to acquire knowledge, what they do out of ignorance, as long as it's not going against the law in a shirk way, it's forgivable in that sense. But the person who has that chance and directly goes away from it to maybe seek their desires. Maybe they want to go find the madahibs just so they can make it easier for themselves. Uh, Imam Nawawi, he calls this itiba' al-ruhas, al-ruhus. This means following one's desires, uh, um, seeking the madahibs to fulfill their desires. So if your intention is to look at the four schools of thought as as a way to get a better understanding of your religion because you know the, because you can look at the proofs and understand them. That's good. Alhamdulillah. But if you're doing it to fulfill their desires, you're picking and choosing, then that is, that, that is, that, that in itself is most definitely forbidden and mm-hmm. we should all try to stay away from. So okay. yes, we should all definitely try to look for someone who does know. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ahi, but there's uh, I, I was looking up uh, the, the rulings on, I think it was with Anha this one time. We were we were wondering if lobsters are halal. Remember that? And I think I Googled it and there were, I think, two schools of thought where lobsters or crustaceans, right? Like shrimp and all that are halal. And I believe the other ones, they're not. Or I believe they're halal for the first, but makru for the other two. But is that kind of what you're getting at? The notion that you can't be picking and choosing which one fits your way of life but rather you should be seeing which one aligns with your subjective truth of reality absolutely yeah i mean if 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 you come to the conclusion that lobsters are halal to eat based off of you know a narration by the prophet then like that's good but if you're going off the like if you're saying that lobsters are halal because i like eating seafood but like what i'm what i was raised on what my what my scholar has told me has said the otherwise then you are following your nafs you are following your desires and that can go for anything like wiping over socks you know and in how strict is that and other things like that all right solid man let's let's go into the fundamentals (laughs) with all four bismillah the fundamentals. Yep. So just intro Inshallah. the four, um, because a lot of people aren't even familiar. So hmm. let's start with the names. What are the four Madahab? Yeah. So inshallah. I think I think before we get into the four schools of thought, mm-hmm. it's important to understand before that even happens, before the Hanafis, the, Shaf- the Malikis, the Shafi'is, and the Hanbalis, there were, t- there were two main schools of thought, you know, even before this. And that was Madhabul Hijaz and Madhabul Iraq. Uh, Madhabul Hijaz, more specifically Madhabul Medina, 
uh, you know, this was the city that the Prophet ﷺ died in. Uh, and it was the first place to establish a medheb, a school of thought. Um, because, you know, the people that lived there were the Sahaba and the children of the Sahaba. And so these people had an idea of how to live life, how to worship Allah, how to do things in life. And the front, front runner of this medheb was Imam Malik, was Imam Malik. Um, and they, their understanding of the religion was based on naqal al-riwayah, uh, you know, based on transmission, uh, commonly known as Ahl Hadith. The people of Hadith were the people of Medina. And on the other side, the second school of thought was Madhab al-Iraq, more specifically Madhab al-Kufa, the city of Kufa in Iraq. Um, and they, they were based, they, it was a very big emphasis on Quran in that city. Um, Kufa was known as the city of Quran, um, Medina to the Quran. Uh, you know, five out of the ten recitation styles, five out of five out of the ten kiraats come from Kufa. Uh, and the front row of this madhab was Imam Abu Hanifa. You know, he was the he was the leader of this madhab. You know, he eventually became known as the Hanafis, and that's later on. But madhab al Iraq is the Imam al um, Abu Hanifa, uh, and they were known to use. Ra'i, Ra'i, um, so uh, Ahl Ra'i, uh, people of reasoning, logic, intellect, understanding. Um, because of the situation they lived in, they needed to use it. They were, Iraq and Kufa was such a mixing pot full of Greek and Chinese and all these different ideas that they needed to use their intellect. And there was fabricated a hadith, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fabricated a hadith. They needed to use intellect over the hadith. Um, unlike Madhul Medina. And, and I'll, I'll get into the form of that, Hibs, but uh, Imam Shafi'i, who is the third Imam, and Imam Ahmed, they've taken from both of these schools. You know, they've taken from both Madhul Medina, the school of Medina, and Madhul Iraq, the uh, school of Iraq. And so it's important to know that you know, no one's like doing these outside ideas, and they're based on um, they're based on people who they're based on the Sahaba that lived there, and they're based on where the Prophet lived. Ibn Mas'ud he lived in Iraq when he migrated after the Prophet died. Um, and so yeah, we, we can go into the four schools of thought. So the first school of thought is the Hanafi Madhab, whose founder was name was Abu Hanifa, Nu'man Ibn Thabit, Ibn Zulqa. And he was born in 80 after Hijra and died 150 after Hijra. And he was born in Kufa and died in Baghdad. All this is in Iraq. Uh, the second Imam is in the Maliki Madhab, uh, named after its founder, Malik Ibn Anas. Um, we'll get, we can get into his, his lineage is very extensive. Um, uh, and he was the founder of the, the Maliki Madhab, who died 93 after Hijra and died 179 after Hijra. And he was born in Medina never left Medina and died in Medina. And so when you come, Hijra. yeah. Wow. Okay. And so when, when you go into his method, you see that where he lives in Medina is very prominent. And third, 30 mem is the Shafi'i method, the Shafi'i school of thought. Its founder was Muhammad Ibn Idris al-Shafi'i. He's the founder of the Shafi'i method. He was born 150 after Hijra, died 204. And he was uh, born in Gaza, in Palestine, he was raised in Mecca, and he died in Egypt. And his is a very long story of lots of travels. 
I see, uh, I see our Palestinian brother over here smiling because he knows the Shafi'i roots. <laughs> Mashallah, the nur on his face. <laughs> and the last Imam for the Hanbalis, the Hanabala, um, Ahmed ibn Muhammad ibn Hanbal, who is the founder of the Hanbali method, died 164, died, I mean, uh, born 164, died 241. And he was born and died in Baghdad, but he traveled lots around. So those are that's a good um, names and the, and the founders when they're born and died. Perfect. Y'all got any questions? Bro, just respect for memorizing all that and memorizing <laughs> those names and just pronouncing it. Pronunciations, the pronunciating. <laughs> oh, bro, you just his, pronunciated his them so is well. commendable. Mashallah. May Allah keep you as steadfast in your deen as you're trying to be. I mean, so are you personally, I guess, aligning or at least forming some type of uh, declination towards one school of thought where you kind of want to go a little bit more into the study uh, than the other ones? Do you have a preference? Yeah. So, uh, as we were, yeah. So, I, I personally, I'm personally studying the Hanbali method, the fourth method of the schools of thought. Um, that, there's for many reasons for that. Um, you know, living in the United States, you know, you don't grow up on a region that everyone's following the same method. And uh, the people here, I had a close friend who, um, alhamdulillah, he, he introduced me to it and I fell in love with it. Uh, and that's the one method that I will be studying, inshallah. And that's, if, if it comes to a time where I'm able to study another one, inshallah, I'd love to. But for now, I'm, I'm keeping to myself to the Hanbali Madhab um, until, until further notice. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing because if you chase two rabbits, you'll never catch either one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I have, I have a question, bro. That, that was, um, that was, uh, was that a, an Arabic proverb or was that an African proverb? I'm not sure. You don't remember? I don't remember. Which either. one? Which one? Uh, disregard. Just don't even worry about it. But um, right. so question for you, bro. Um, fatwas are basically given from schools of thoughts, right? Correct? Mm. Given from scholars, yes. From scholars, but scholars of select schools of thoughts, correct? Yes. Yeah, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. So sometimes you have fatwas given that aren't from like a specific school of thought. Yeah. So fatawa, which is the the um, plural. The, the plural for a fatwa. Uh, a fatwa is given from an individual scholar. So one person gives fatwa. Um, now that fatwa can be taken by a school of thought and make it authoritative, but usually they're they're used in a specific context at a specific time for a specific people. Um, so, like here in America, we have scholars that give fatwa for the people living in America, and so it see it would be um, it, it would be odd to take fatwa from people living in Arabia, Indonesia. Um, and so, yeah, so scholars give fatwa, not, not necessarily schools of thought. They derive, they derive what is authoritative mm-hmm. through like by themselves. 
Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't, they don't argue with other schools or other people to what is, you know, correct according to them. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. I want to, I want to add here, Bismillah. Um, and also, Habibi, Jazakallah khair. All of that was very informative, mashallah. Um, and the amount that I learned in what, what, how long has it been? 10 minutes? SubhanAllah. It's amazing. <laughs> May Allah bless you, Habibi. Um, I, I just want to add to that, uh, inshallah. Um, so with, when it comes to schools of thought, they don't just, uh, or the scholars of the schools of thoughts, uh, they don't just give these fatawa. They don't, you know, they don't just offer these, these rulings and in, in the fatawa and all of that. They offer the fatawa using a very specific usul, a very specific, basically a method of deriving these rulings, right? If we are going to stay consistent in our religion, we need a consistent way of deriving rulings. And that's what the schools of thought do. And that's the only, as far as I know, and I'm like a very, very like low layman, right? So take my words with a grain of salt. That's the only real difference between the schools of thought the method in which they derive the rulings, what they accept, and how authoritative those are. For example, some schools of thought, like Imam Shafi'i will regard the Quran and the Hadith on the same level when it comes to laws and legislations, what's halal, what's haram. They will regard it on the same exact level for legislation. Um, but basically, all four schools of thought, they, they accept Quran, Hadith, and the um, ijma of the the consensus of the companions, they differ on things like thing something called istihsan, which is what feels more right. Yes, there's actually some schools of thought, some scholars that use that, and for their time they use that. Um, and things like um, um, yes. the, the opinions of certain scholars, yeah, qiyas is very uh, important as well. Which I guess uh, inshallah you get into that afterwards. But what I what I want to add here is that. This is, the, this is the difference, the method in which they derive these rulings. And I think it's important that someone, if they're going to claim that they are Hanbali or Shafi or, or Maliki or, or any school of thought, that they at least understand what method is being used and that they understand that that is the difference in the rulings. And that's mm. why people come to these conclusions based off mm. their usul, their method. Okay, so with that being said, uh, backtracking a little bit here. Fayed, you had said when you had asked uh, uh, Brother Fletcher a question, you said um, something about your subjective truth and um, what you what you want. Is it something like that? What, what was it exactly that you said? Pertaining to what? Pertaining to these schools of thoughts, like when we, when you had mentioned the whole lobster thing. Yeah, we were we were getting on the notion that. It's in our best interest, inshallah, to <clears throat> not follow a school of thought because it aligns with our lifestyle. You follow? And to more come into a firm understanding of our interpretations of, you know, different verses in the Quran, different hadith, basically our Islamic moral universe. It's better we come to that understanding first through knowledge and then, you know, find which school of thought we want to follow. Yeah, not so just guess, like okay i want to do this one thing but two of these say to my crew the other one says halal so let me follow the two that says halal so i feel as guilty yeah so um what i'm trying to ask you is like what if you are not going with your desires you are just going with your subjective truth 
you know, what you are logically coming to, but what you are logically coming to on different things are not fully aligning with one school of thought and mm. are going off each of different schools of thoughts here. Mm. Yeah. So I guess there's, you know, what you're logically inclined to, you know, Bro, I thought that was the Pope or something is, there. <laughs> is uh is is what you're um is what you're being logically inclined to done with knowledge and understanding of the religion, or is it being done with no knowledge or understanding of the religion? So if it's being done with knowledge and understanding of the religion, if you're able to look at a hadith, for example, and you come to the conclusion that we'll keep using the example that lobster is halal then good, like, go ahead. Um, but if you're going, if you come to the conclusion that lobster is halal and, like, you have no way of really looking at a hadith, for example, and coming to the conclusion that it is halal, you're just kind of like, you know, they say it's halal, they say it's haram. It logically makes sense that it's halal because you use your own reasoning. Then you yourself are in no position to like use that reasoning because you've yet to you've yet to go through these other important proofs first. You've yet to go through the Quran, the Hadith, and the Ijma of the Sahab, mm-hmm. which by consensus is, as Rami was saying, is the sources of proof that all schools of thought use. You have to go through those three first before even touching what you think is right. Mm-hmm. So, long yeah. long. Yeah, my bad, my bad for uh, <laughs> chiming in here, y'all. The 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 revert inside of me is coming out. No problem, bro. These are good I don't questions. Know these questions. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. I actually I want to add to that because I feel like an example here would be helpful. Um, so let's say it it had to do with, let's say we're talking about like intimacy, right? We're talking about like oral sex or something like that. Which yeah, okay, some people get your giggles out of the way, but talking about like oral sex or something, for example. A lot of people would have a very superficial way of looking at the deen. They might look at, you know, well, sex is so you can make babies. Babies can't come out of oral sex. So maybe then it's haram. You know, I think maybe anal sex is haram for that same reason. So maybe, you know, it doesn't make sense. Logically speaking, oral sex, you should maybe avoid it because I think it's haram in that case. You're using some kind of logic, but is that deduction correct? Is that deduction Mm. correct? And see, that's this is an issue because... Perhaps, you know, one of the blessings of intimacy is so, so you can have children, but that's not all it is in Islam. It's perfectly permissible for you to be intimate with your husband or wife, regardless of if you're trying to conceive or not, regardless of whether or not that's the intention. So, again, going back to schools of thought, when the brother mentioned proofs, this that's exactly what you have to look at. You have to look at the evidences because the scholars don't look at the deen in a superficial way. Hmm. What I, The example I gave was very superficial. And that's, that's, that's a problem because it seems logical, but it's actually irrational because mm-hmm. it's not according to the deen. So what the scholars do is they'll provide the evidences and they'll say, because of these evidences and our method of deriving rulings, we conclude that this is halal, this is haram, etc., etc. So if you have two opposing opinions, you don't roll dice and choose. You don't think I, this feels better. You don't think, well, I want to do it, so I'm going to choose this. You look at their evidences. And you find they have a clear verse from the Quran. They they don't have any of that. They're just mm-hmm. using their own logic. Well, um, 
because of this, we can conclude that. When, oh no, actually Allah says in the Quran, X, Y, Z, therefore, this is haram. And also I want to mention one more thing. In Islam, things are haram, until, or sorry, things are halal until proven haram. They are permissible until proven haram. So if you have a case where it's like, is oral sex allowed? And I'm going to end on this note. You're asking, is oral sex allowed? It is allowed until you find evidence is haram. So if you find an opinion that says it's haram and you examine those evidences and it's okay, khalas is clear, then okay, you, mm. you can't reject that. But if it's if there's two opposing opinions, one says it's halal and they give their reasons for it and the other side, it, they just cannot prove it's haram. They don't have actual evidences demonstrating it's haram. Okay, then in that case, where the evidences lead, uh, we shall go inshallah. I just wanted yeah, to like, touch on two quick things that he said. First thing, when Rami mentioned every, in Islam, everything's halal until proven haram. These are anything except ibadah or acts of worship because these are all haram under specified halal. The second thing is when Rami said um, you are, you can be in, you know, it's halal to be intimate with your husband or wife. He's referring to if you're a man with your wife and a woman with your husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just want to add, bro, like, it's good that you're clarifying it like that. And if people have been watching this podcast, y'all, y'all will know that Rami is a big advocate of uh, not being extreme. Mm-hmm. Because when you lean to one extreme, then it gives birth to the next extreme. And it's like, if you really think about it, if, if you're not analyzing the evidence, if you hear someone say, um, oh, this is haram, someone saying uh, oral sex is haram, and you just take it at face value, well, like you, you're kind of giving birth to an extreme uh, ideology here. Because if you think about it, like if you think oral sex is haram because of what Rami said, where it's like, ah, well, sex is to give birth. So anal sex, you can't give birth to anal sex. You can't give birth to oral sex. So then you can only have sex with the vagina. Well, it's like, okay, well, if sex is only to give birth, then I guess you're only going to have sex when you want to actually give birth to a child then, right? So then that extremism is basically going to make you live in a way where you're going to be suffering for no reason, for no reason whatsoever. I just I think it's nice that you uh you put it that way, bro. Alhamdulillah. May Allah make it uh you know good for the people. I mean Ya Rab. But I'm at, bro, imagine going your whole life with that kind of ideology and then like realizing on the day of judgment or in the afterlife that you could have done whatever you want. That was you know, that was halal. You didn't have to restrict yourself to having sex four times in life. Oh my god, man. Bro, and it's like these these people that are so extreme, they'll probably think to themselves, ah, well, you know what? If I made it to Jannah, it's okay. You know, I'd rather be in Jannah than have had oral sex or have had sex more than four times in my life. But it's like, dude, it's like Brother Gabriel said, this uh holier than the prophet syndrome. I was like, dude, you think the Prophet وسلم, only had sex when it was time to procreate? I'm sorry, I don't I don't think it was like that. I don't think it was like that. SubhanAllah. Mm. I want to I bring it back to Fletcher, inshallah, because I want to learn more <laughs> about the Madahib. So which school of thought did you say you were studying again? Did you say it was Hanbali? Hanbali. Yeah, the Hanbali school of thought. Bismillah. So let's, since you're studying that, you know, in particular, can you tell us about their usul and about their, their method or anything interesting about them specifically? Sure, yeah, we can go over their, their usul. So 
So Muhammadi usul and usul means sources of proof. Just for anyone that uh, is what they use to derive their rulings. Um, so Imam Ahmed he used he started with the Quran and Sunnah, Quran wa Sunnah. So not the Quran then the Sunnah. It's Quran and any Sahih Hadith. What he derived what was an authentic Hadith is just as authoritative as the Quran. They're both Wahi. They're both revelation. Um, then he went with the Ijma' the consensus of the Sahaba, of course. Um, and then his third proof was Qulu Sahaba, the sayings of the companions, um, which would differ from the Ijma' that we just talked about, that consensus, uh, difference of opinion of the Sahaba, but it's backed up with a divine text. You know, it, It's not them just saying something, but what they say can be backed up with their own use of divine text. Um, oops. This is the Pope again. <laughs> but so if a Sahabi says something and no other Sahabi disagrees with it, then it is law. So if, it's a, if, if a Sahabi, if a companion says something or does something that, the Prophet says, that he said the Prophet did and no one disagrees with it, then it itself is law, even if it goes against the consensus. And hmm. um, his fourth, his fourth opinion or his, his fourth usul he used, which is very specific to the Hanbali method, which um, to the people who really like hadith, to the people that identify as ahl hadith, they, they like this opinion of Imam Ahmed because his fourth usul was using weaker hadith. You know, first you use that Quran wa sunnah, Quran and authentic hadith. His fourth opinion is weaker hadith. Um, and during his time, it was known as da'if hadith. And me and you know that we don't use da'if. Da'if's not good. Um, but during his time, that those da'if, what they, what they considered da'if was mursul hadiths. Uh, hadiths that, that had, was missing the sahabi, that was missing the companion that heard it from the Prophet um, And in, in, in hadith study, this isn't a bad thing. Um, inshallah, if, if you guys get Farid back on, I'm sure he could go into depth about what this is. Um, so like, for example, what a mursal hadith is, uh, let's say that Imam Hassan al-Basri, rahimallah, narrated that the Prophet said this. You know, there's obviously something missing here. You know, we're missing a companion. Um, but this is still, it's still a weaker hadith, but it's not straight, straight out know, fabricated. It, it's not weak to the point where we can't trust it because we know that we can trust Hassan al-Basri. He's a very reliable person, narrator of hadith and everything. So it's kind of, it would be odd to say that he, the, this great imam is a liar, that he made this hadith up. And so we can trust that he got it from a reliable source. Uh, now that the grading system that we have nowadays is the grading system of Imam al-Didmadi, um, and the hadiths that, that Imam Ahmed would be using right here would be counted as Hassan. So they're, they're weak, but not so much so that we can't derive meaning from them and partial rulings from them. And his fifth in the fifth usul, I'll, I'll hurry up, but the fifth usul is qiyas, analogy, um, logical reasoning, using the intellect, what we were talking about. After going through all these proofs and... Um, you know, finding every way to try to find a proof for each of those, he at that point, you can finally use your own analogy, your own opinion. Um, but Imam Ahmed was very specific about it. He said only in necessity, only in absolute necessity, you can use your qiyas, your opinion, or not your opinion, but your analogy. Um, 
he, he kind of took the, the opinion between Malik and Shafi'i because Imam Malik was very strict and disregarded Qiyas altogether. While Imam Shafi'i, he used it, he used it partially as well. Um, and so only after finding those four points, he gives his fatwa with accordance to the Quran and Sunnah using his analogy, but never attributing it to Rasulullah Never saying that I'm using my analogy, the Prophet would have done this, did this. Mm-hmm. And so there's a very specific to Imam Ahmed, Rahimallah. Um, I want to add uh, an example of that as well. MashaAllah. Jazakallah khair. So Qiyas is, you said analogy, and I feel like people are going to be like, what isn't an analogy like, you know, you're comparing this to that, and you give some kind of weird like proverb or something weird. <laughs> uh, an analogical deduction. Um, is another way we can we can term it. That's what my teacher called. Yeah, so it's basically a logical deduction where you take one thing and you use basically a premise, you have a key point, and then you use sound logic and come to a conclusion. One example my teacher gave us is having the Mus'haf, the Quran, the book of the Quran with the written words of the Quran in it in the bathroom is haram. You can't do that. Okay, what about if it's like on my phone? I have Quran open on my phone and it's digitally displaying, you know, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, so on and so forth. Is that haram as well? Analogical deduction. So what some scholars did is they said, the reason it's haram to have the book open is because that's the words of Allah being displayed. It's there, right? Same thing with the phone. It's still physically there. Therefore, they come to the conclusion that it is haram, even though they didn't have phones in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, so the Qur'an doesn't mention it specifically, the Ahadith doesn't mention it, the, the, the Sahaba don't mention it, the scholars don't mention it, because phones were a very recent invention, so they didn't have this. So in that case, they have to use analogical deduction. That's hmm. like, uh, in, as the brother mentioned, this is like, like worst case scenario, this is what you go to. When you have no Qur'an, Sunnah, Sahaba, or scholarly opinion from the classical scholars, I'm talking about the issue. It's a brand new issue. So I hope that, that example helps, inshallah. That's good. That's a uh, what was what was the what was the translation used for it? The the analogical. The yeah, analogical deduction. Analogical deduction. That's good. I need to remember that. That's a better. That's a better way than saying analogy. Analogical deduction. Yeah. Oh, and and please take your time when you talking about these things don't feel rushed at all don't feel like oh i need to hurry or anything like that <laughs> yeah. oh, i appreciate it okay. i got appreciate you bro. i got you and guys <laughs> i have like i don't know how much let me see how much percentage battery i got four percent battery left so um if y'all see me just dip y'all know what happens <laughs> sounds good it's just like the live stream <laughs> no yeah. just like live stream bro you got it <laughs> what are your thoughts on this on this zoom profile picture i really like it yeah i'm a big fan of it yeah i took it in iceland bro when he was in the back seat what, what a shame that these uh viewers can't see it i know what an actual shame bro it does it does. they may not see it Nah. nah, they just see his name written. Just like they won't see your oh. profile picture. They'll just yeah. see. Oh, every time the Pope shows up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. <laughs> threw me off. Was that taken, I really thought it was the Pope. That was a that was a that was a that was a snapshot I took while I was giving a Pope about one week. I thought it was a really cool action shot, so I was like, ah, 
What is next on the menu? Um, not too sure. We can go through. I got a whatever question. Whatever you guys want. Yeah. I got a question. Um, I don't know if you even mentioned this. Maybe you did. Please let me know if you did mention this or if you did mention this, Fletcher. But um, you chose the uh, what was the school you chose again? I can't. The Han- uh, Hanbali. Hanbali. There you go. Now, did you say why you chose this school? I I didn't give like a like a big reasoning for it. I could let, I could I could, ex- hear, I could expand yeah, let's off. Hear. Yeah, I'm curious. So, <laughs> partially was uh, I I at the beginning when I. Uh, when I wanted to, I don't know, study Islam, like, uh, you know, gain ilm, try to try to gain knowledge, uh, fiqh, for some, for some reason, Allahu alam, fiqh, deriving rulings, uh, you know, learning about jurisprudence, it, it, it stuck to me for some reason. I really liked the idea of learning about what we can and cannot do, how we can and cannot do it. Because um, faqis, uh, they're, they're just like amazing um scholars you know throughout the history they've been amazing scholars muhaddiths uh people who memorize hadith and teach hadith they're very um they're very strict with how they teach and how they learn they're very straight to the point that you know they memorize uh sahih bukhari and now they're they're ijazah is sahih bukhari now they derive rulings from that and it's if you don't and not all of them are like that they're just very particular and that with madahibs they're very lenient and that every I've learned from or, or seen online or read from, they're very lighthearted. And it just, it, it stuck to me. They seemed very like kind um, people and I wanted to learn from them. And so um, when looking at Madahibs, I didn't really have like a reason as to why I chose the Hanbali besides that um, it was presented to me in a way that was like, it seemed as if that's like, like it's, 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 it's usul was presented to me. And I would say it was the only one that was kind of presented to me in a way that was like very um, easy to understand. Like the idea of that Quran Sunajmat, I got that. Weaker ahadith, that meant that made a lot to me. Because when you when you revert to Islam, when you come to Islam, when you when you study Islam, um, you have this idea of Quran and Sunnah. So you want you want those ahadith. And so Allahu Alam, I really can't give like a this is why, because Imam Ahmed is this. Uh, uh, you know, his students were this, the, the, the scholars were that. Uh, I really can't give a reason as to just, it, it seemed like a great method. And since I've studied it, I'm, I do not claim that I'm a Hanbali. I'm not Fletcher al-Hanbali, you know. Uh, the people who, who, um, who do that without having proper understanding of the entire method, uh, they're, they're living in a world that, you know, that they don't have yet. Um, so no one should identify as that I'm this and that, and you're wrong in that. Um, just, I've, I fell in love with the story of Imam Ahmed and I fell in love with the story of his students. And I fell in love with, um, just these names and the books and the way they, they derive from them. And that when I, um, when I, when I hear the, the chain of the Hanbali Madhab going from Imam Ahmed to contemporary scholars, it's really like, I know that name. I love that name. This, you know. Ibn just all these scholars it's just like oh it, it touches me and that's just from learning it um and i'm sure if i was a maliki i'm sure if i studied the hanafi method it'd be the same way like i love imam malik he's my he's 
one of my favorite just people to learn about. I love Imam Malik. Um, and I always said, if I, if I didn't study the Hanbali Madhab, I would study the Maliki Madhab. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I look very Maliki right now with my Moroccan Thoban. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure that was confusing at first. <laughs> yeah, ma- mashallah, bro. So you fell in love with these things. Yeah, absolutely. So have you absolutely. fallen in love with the polygyny yet? I was wondering when you'd bring it up. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, as I said on the last video, my wife is in the other room, and I'm not going to say anything, but... It is. It is. MashaAllah. Yeah, Fire, you are are muted, bro. I heard you laughing, even though you were muted. If she was in the other room and you were truly against it, it wouldn't matter. You'd just say you were against it. It's true. But the fact the fact that she's in the other room and you feel some type of way shows that you feel some type of way. Bro, <laughs> and it is in the Quran. I'm pretty sure, uh, speaking of the Madahab, all four Sunni schools of thought. No Absolutely. problem, no issues with that. Absolutely. No, why? Of course it wouldn't be. Yeah. <sighs> I don't think anyone... <laughs> I don't think anyone who goes against polygyny can even really be Muslim, depending on how they go against it. Like, oh, on Hilton. Oh, man, just on his favorite topic. Yeah, unfortunately. Watch, <laughs> <laughs> oh, she comes back in like 10 seconds. Just, just that. <laughs> hey, you guys done polygyny? <laughs> yeah, bro, we're talking about Phil. Oh, man, I mean, he leaves again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we got, we got like 10 ish minutes left. What else, y'all? Sure. You want to chop it up about Rami? Not sure. On no, I got a question for Rami. Okay. Growing up in your family household, it's just my assumption, knowing your background, did you grow up in a Shafi-based household? Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, my family wasn't very, uh, very religious to the point where they would actually look at the fatawa given and be like, you know, Imam Shafi'i and in that madahib, they say this. Um, so it's never been of any occurrence to me. And I didn't even know until I actually asked my mom maybe less than a year ago. And I found out we were actually Shafi. Uh, we did follow them, uh, that madhab, subhanAllah. Um, but I think my school does as well. And myself, I actually lean towards Imam Shafi'i Allah in, in that uh, that madhab because you know how you mentioned Ahlul Ra'i and Ahlul Hadith, right? People of basically the people of opinion, the people of um, Hadith and, and Sunnah and, and all that. Um, Imam Shafi'i Allah, from what I, I learned what, from what I was taught, he was basically in the middle, right? So he didn't, he didn't lean towards one or the other. He accepted both in a, in a fairly balanced way. And that was something I looked at. I'm like, subhanAllah, um, I, I like that about him, and I like that about the the school of thought, because uh, I felt like it was it was very encompassing, um, and it's it's not to the point where he would take some random sheikh's opinion over you know a mutawatir or or a hadith uh, or something crazy like that, but it was in a very balanced way, mashallah, from you know as a layman from what I could tell. So that's kind of the the rundown of of me and and, and uh, the Shafi Matab. Mashallah. What about you, Fayed? Did you grow up in a household that seemed to be particular to one school of thought? No? No, I was general, just genuinely Sunni Islam. To, to be brief, no specific madahab. 
Very cool. Man, there's something that, by the way, is anything off the table? Like, can I ask anything? Sure, I guess, yeah. All right, there's something on my mind, bro, that I always wondered. And before we wrap it up, you coming into Islam, you mentioned your parents were very supportive. Alhamdulillah, that's very rare, but I love that for you, that you had that somewhat, lack of a better word, smooth transition into, into the deen, um, at least as far as familial matters go. But that being said, um, how has your relationship with them, I know we briefly touched a bit on the, on the live, but how has it changed? Um, and, and do you, do you feel this inclination all the time to just want them to come into the deen? Or is it kind of like you wait for them to almost have a lot of it for them and let them, you know, have their own ordained time? Hmm. That, that's a great question. Yeah, I touched a little bit on it um, on the live stream. Um, and that's, yes, alhamdulillah, when, when coming to Islam, uh, I, I, in a very rare case, for example, had a very smooth transition. That's a, that's a great way to describe it um, when it comes to familial matters. Um, and so when, when, you see, when I see my parents, for example, and this is only, only what I can say to my, myself, and every revert has this feeling, just in different ways, of course, um, is that for my example, like they, they were very understanding of the religion. And so when I, when I say, Hey, I got to go pray. They understand when I, when I'm making wudu just somewhere, they don't, I mean, at first they kind of were like, what's, but after I told them about it, they were just fine with it. Um, and that's when I, when I decide to leave wearing a thobe or start wearing a kufi everywhere we go, even with my parents, they were very just accepting of it. And so I would say even more to the fact that they are accepting, it's, it, it's even more in my heart uh, to want them to be Muslim. Even more than a, a convert, for example, that has a family that you know, kicks them out of the house and never talks to them. And that um, maybe they only, they only ask for them when they really need them. And these are extreme examples. I ask a lot to make it easy for every convert to Islam. And so it's definitely a thing that you really want them to be Muslim, that you try everything. You, you, you bring up the Quran, you, you talk, you give them, you give them a Quran, you say, Hey, did you, you read your book? You know, did you read the book I gave you? Did you read the Sira book I, I gave you? You know, it's like, I really like the Sira and you bring up points. You talk about the things you're studying and they see how much you love it. And that the fact that they still, you know, you're expecting them to just go, you're right. It's just like, Part of it is that you really want them now, but Allah knows when. And Allah when that when that is, if it is, all I can do my all I can do now is make dua, try my best, have that character, that adab, and do everything I can. Um, and Allah Dua is underrated, man. Have you really have you read is. the sealed nectar? I personally haven't read that sealed book. Mm-hmm. I was speaking. Uh, I might, you know, take that up because I was speaking with uh, Brother Rami last night on a walk about just wanting to go in on, you know, Sira and just mm. being more of a student of knowledge and, and learning more because it's never too early. Um, mm. It's also never too late. And I was looking into that book. I was considering it. But for for people that are new to their journey, right, to learn about the Sira, maybe even the companions. 
of the Prophet Sallallahu uh, history, fiqh, just new into all of this. Let's imagine they were where you were 2018. What steps could you point them towards? What direction? To a person who like just converted to Islam? Just accepted Islam. They maybe or may not have learned Fatiha in Arabic. They're praying and they're kind of like, okay, what do I do now? Like, isn't this it? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, the, the best advice I can give for a new Muslim, and some people have it as soon as they convert where they just immediately want to start learning. Some people are just, they're very slow with it. Uh, some people get it 10 years down the line. I've, I've met a brother, um, he's been Muslim for eight years now, and that he now wants to start learning how to read the Quran because like he feels like it's empty from him. And I'm just like, subhanAllah, I started doing that six months into being, being Muslim. And I'm just like, that that's not everyone's journey. And it's just like, it's, um, so first thing I can just say is just, you know, learn your religion. I would say, learn the seerah and learn how to read Quran, whether or not you know how to fully understand it, but to get that baraka, to get that, just that, that accomplishment of literally reading lines of Arabic, you know, the, the words of Allah, it's the best thing you can do. It really is. Um, yeah, alhamdulillah. I mean, that, that's really, I mean, learn your religion. Uh, that's for everyone. I mean, for literally everyone, you need to learn your religion. Even if you're a doctor, you're a mechanic, you're an engineer, you need to know your religion. MashaAllah. Hmm. Um, It's been a great episode, mashallah. Um, a lot was covered. I was like mentally dead for like most of it, to be honest. So forgive me. Um, but alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khair. Bless your habibi. Man, looking fresh, mashallah, the whole time. I wanted to say this. Mashallah. Mashallah. You know, Imam Malik, rahimallah, he always had, mashallah, like prestige. Like he always looked, mashallah, with his robe and everything. Mashallah, he always looked nice. Mashallah. Um, yeah. So it's only fitting that you you look up to him as well. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> may Allah bless you and, and have mercy I mean, on you. I mean, yeah, just hearing, hearing Fletcher's uh, coming into Islam, Rami, it just reminds me of all these these stories we hear. Because, you know, on Patreon, we have different like tiers where people can do calls with us and they can, you know, come with, you know, different consultations. And we hear so many stories about even people that are into the deen and, you know, even their parents are into the deen now, but they just have these issues. They want to talk about it. It's like, mm. it never ends, right? And it just reminds me that it's it's always going to be a struggle, right? If you're doing it for Sabbath, then at least you know where you're going with the struggle. If you're kind of aimless, don't really know where you're going. That's yeah. what I love about the deen. And everything's clear. There was also one more thing that Sheikh Abdurrahim McCarthy shared with us on an episode that as a Muslim, we have no excuse to be bored. Right, like there's no excuse. There's always something to do. Yeah. Even if you're praying five times a day, cool. Let's do sunnah. Yeah. Let's let's read some more Quran. Let's try to give dawah. Like there's always something you could do. Yeah. Right. Subhanallah. That is true. Subhanallah. That is very true. But unfortunately, we make lots of lots of lots of excuses nowadays. Um, and this is something that you know I think everybody struggles with. Where it's just it's just that time procrastination is it's really hitting people hard so um subhanallah i guess my advice on that would would be 
um, remember Allah and remember the barakah in it and remember the, the, the khair, the good that can come out of it. And remember that, you know, sometimes it's not really a choice. You know, it's not a choice whether you want to read the Quran or not, like in your lifetime. Um, yeah. When you read it, okay, that's up to you. But you can't completely neglect it your whole life. This is the book of Allah. And you're going to stay away from that? Come on, man. Don't be, don't be an ignoramus. Get on that, inshallah. <laughs> I got, um, you were mentioning the sealed nectar. And this will be, this is just one little thing I wanted to put in. Um, on one of Sheikh Uthman's videos, he talks about um, Sira books, the recommendations for Sira books. And he was saying that the, like, the best Sira book that you can find, especially in the English language, is the sealed nectar. Like I would... I myself need to read it. This is for me as a reminder for myself and that everyone else, if they're looking to read the Sirah, definitely read, read the Seal Nectar. Mm, yeah, man. That's why I, I want to get you should on get it. that book. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Because again, I'm a, I'm a student of knowledge. Rami's a student of knowledge. Fletcher's a student of knowledge. Um, a lot of people come to us with all these questions and I always replot them in the DMs that I'm not qualified to give you a fatwa. Like, you know, I'm not a sheikh. Please, you know, like, I, I, we're trying to do good. We're trying to, you know, give dawah. We're trying to call people to Islam because it's the truth. But at the same time, we're just near ground zero like y'all. Yeah. We're by no means anywhere near a scholarly level. And I'll, inshallah, we get there. But at the end of the day, we're just sharing our journey with y'all. So, you know, don't ever hesitate to reach out to us if you have any questions or reach out to Fletcher. We're always here. Um, and at the end of the day, we're all a collective, you know, thing. That's what I love about Ramadan. See, when Ramadan is there, everyone's on Deen. Why is everyone on Deen? Because everyone else is on Deen, right? It's easy to pray. It's easy to go to the masjid. It's easy to, you know, recite Quran, stay up night praying to Hajjid because everyone's doing it. And then when Ramadan falls out, it's kind of like that collective. It's not there anymore. Nobody's out, you know, praying, uh, you know, uh, the night prayers anymore, right? That are we. No one's out there in the, in the masjid anymore. No one's, you don't see that. So then we as an ummah, we kind of just, we're not on that anymore. So yeah. I feel like that's that's one thing that I personally tried and made an effort to this year. When Ramadan was done, I wasn't. I tried to, you know, just put in those extra reps and sets, inshallah, and, and kind of just try to stay on it. And I noticed it's been like about a month, two months after Ramadan, right? Month and a half-ish. Uh, yeah. And it's, again, super doable with the grace of Allah. It doesn't have to end at Ramadan. And I'm saying that for myself because in the past, when, you know, Ramadan was on and my deen was on, on point, on 10, after Ramadan, I was kind of like, okay, I'll get it next Ramadan. And I always, I never asked myself, why is it always next Ramadan? Why do I have to wait 11 months? Why can't I just make it today? But yeah. That's very good advice. Yeah. Very wise. A lot of people can't bring themselves to even have that line of thinking nowadays, subhanAllah. Um, without, without an excuse already popping in their head so uh, may Allah bless you bro and about what you mentioned before this is a this is a common problem I see this is this is the problem people um you know Muslims on on TikTok and on YouTube and all that a lot of them are not scholars like myself I'm on TikTok alhamdulillah and, and you know we have this podcast and everything I'm not a scholar man majority of the questions that are asked to me about Islam especially when it comes to like rulings and is this halal haram majority of them the vast majority i say i don't know man go ask a scholar hmm. i heard from sheikh asim al-hakim that he says this i know there's another opinion go ask a scholar i don't know man um so that 
it's a problem when people let it go to their head and they feel like they need to give an answer um, despite them not knowing and then they kind of make something up. So may Allah protect us from that. I mean, I mean, I mean. Hi guys, if you made it this far, comment down below. Hashtag bring Fletcher back. <laughs> My next episode of Fletcher. Inshallah. Inshallah. Fletcher, bro. Jazakallah for having me on. Always good. Always good. Always good. Habib. All right. Until next time. Allahumma atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa kina adab al-nar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.